welcome to the Geek Bits Podcast with your hosts, Mike, David, and Craig. Welcome to the Geek Bits Podcast, episode number seven. So uh, I'm David. Uh, as always, we have Mike and Craig here with us as well. The uh, name of this episode is What If Technology Had Stalled in the 80s? And um, so I want to explain a little bit about this, just a thought experiment. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting. I had this thought. I'm like, well, what if, um, what if like silicon chip technology or integrated circuits or whatever just simply for whatever technological or, or, or physics reason, they just couldn't make them uh, or never figured out how to make them any smaller or faster. And so we were kind of stuck, for, at least from a hardware perspective, we were kind of stuck in like 1982, you know, like uh, Commodore 64 type type computers, right? And now we could approach this later and say, well, what about 1985, you know, because now we got 16-bit computers, or we could go 1995, <laughs> we got 32-bit computers, or, or whatever. But But just to start off, you know, just wanted to talk about, let's say, 1982. Now, now, when I say this, I don't necessarily mean we couldn't continue to develop new kinds of software or new applications for hardware. You're it's just saying just, they'd be limited to the hardware of that time. Right, yeah. right. So whatever people could figure out to do. And so there's a number of technologies that we take for granted today, and I wanted to discuss, just kind of go through a list of things or anything we can think of and say, hey, would this be possible today with this kind of technology? So one perfect example is this podcast we're doing right now. You know, could something like this mm. be done on that type of technology? You know, what, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was sitting here kind of, I'm like, I'm like, wow, all of the possibilities. And I was sitting here kind of thinking about what you were saying. Well, and it depends. I mean, like even the equipment, like the we have a podcast mixer board over here uh, that that has more processing power than... <laughs> Most computers of the 80s. So sure. now, granted, I understand, you know, you could make this much simpler um, and, uh, and it could be all analog and there's there's different ways that we could go about that. But um, I think overall, the answer is probably yes, that the podcast could be done. Then we have to talk about how does it get transmitted? Sure. I think that's yeah. probably the bigger problem because sure, back because then we had 300 baud bottoms. <laughs> well, know. you know, and so that's that's one of the very next things I wanted to, to talk about is, is uh, you know, modem technology was was really a kind of a, I don't even know the right word. It, 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 it existed because it, they needed something to make use of the existing telecom network that we had, which was analog. Yep. It doesn't mean they couldn't have built a digital broadband well, Network, uh, you know, network, you know, agreed. And, and and actually, I was I was going to go into this, and I, I just just I didn't, but I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and say it now. And that was, they actually did have podcasts back in the day. They were called radio stations, well, sure. and they had sure. DJs, and they but put it, it all over, analog. It was all over a, AM, FM, you sure. know, signals. Yeah. So so yes, I mean, but but I was trying to stay true to what your original right through a computer system, yes. right, right, yeah. So you know. Um, I think they, they, we definitely could have increased, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly how fast it would have been, but, you know, if you could have had the phone company bringing a digital line to your house just for a computer, you know, which there wasn't enough demand for that kind of thing and, and, and for the phone companies to invest effort to, to build something like that in like 1982. But I absolutely think that by today, like 2021, it would have, it would have happened. I think you would have the option of some kind of digital, you know, I don't know when ISDN lines came That's out. actually funny you say that. I'm actually Googling. I want to know. 1980. So it was was standardized in 1980, and it became an actual product in production offered by the phone companies by 1988. So what was the bandwidth on ISDN? 128K. Yeah. Okay. So with 128K... uh, Significantly better. Pumped into your your Commodore 64 or your Apple II, uh, you know, you'd be able to transfer stuff pretty quickly. Um, You wouldn't have a lot of processing power for codecs, like for compression or something, so... Uh, real-time stuff would be very challenging, but I think, uh, yeah, I think you'd absolutely be able to do things like social media, Amazon, eBay. Uh, what about what about uh, photography like, though? Photography, like video, is not going to happen. Period. Just, no, I don't think so. You know, I was I was thinking it's about like that four, four pixels. By four <laughs> pixels or I was something. thinking about that before the podcast. You know, we did have sort of kind of digital c- cameras back then. I mean, we we did have CCDs and we did have 
capture devices that could bring pictures into a computer. Granted, they weren't very good, uh, but you could do it. And I think it could have been improved upon if, if they were purpose-built for that purpose. So base, basically like a webcam, you plug into the user port of your Commodore or something, and you could probably take some grayscale images or something like that. Um, At the very know. least, you could maybe have a profile picture on your yeah. BBS or your ISDN-based network. And right, be but able to transmit that, but you like know, full color video. Well, even full color pictures, like like the the Apple II and the Commodore sixty four had, I forget, 16, 16 colors, but there were color cells involved. So I can't remember. You probably know, yeah. Head, but but it's it's not going to be a very colorful picture, even. Were even there IBM compatible computers in the eighties that would have had better video cards or something? Not in eighty two when we were theoretically talking about this. Yeah, you had uh, C- they had a ball. CGA four color yeah. CGA. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So, Which would have been like pink and green, <laughs> very terrible color. The palette. Yeah. Whoever came up with that color palette? Not to oh say, yeah, brutal. Of course, not to say that again. I mean, not to say they couldn't have, have improved upon that. I mean, a lot of a lot of these type of te- technologies were the way they were, just for cost or for some other reason. So, not to say they couldn't have improved upon uh, that in the in the coming years without needing uh, newer hardware. Well, and you know yeah. that that brings up another interesting point too. So. Um, you know, the, the, the Commodore 64 or the Apple II or the IBM uh, XT that was sitting on your desk at home could have been more powerful, even with the same processor, by mm-hmm. making it a whole lot bigger, you right. know, right? We, you could, a whole lot more You could put a whole lot more RAM in it and a whole lot more, but yes, it would have raised the cost significantly. So part of the, the problem of the, of the time was, was a cost issue. Right. And, and, well, and a space issue, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to have your one room of your house dedicated to your mainframe or something. Well, I mean, what if a lot of people <clears throat> went that route? What if that, be, because we're stuck in the 80s, what if every room, it was assumed every house was going to build with the ISDN line pumped straight to a particular room and somebody had almost like a mini mainframe in order oh. to have so instead of you know the that's computers getting smaller well the, because, the houses started to accommodate bigger devices because that's the only way to get more power well this so this this exact thing has happened with other technologies so for example the home theater room like like mm-hmm. almost every house you, you I, I don't think you can buy a new house today that doesn't have a theater room in it right right and so <laughs> I guess the same thing would be true for this if you if if the world had to evolve around this technology and we wanted to keep advancing, then maybe we would have to have dedicated spaces for our yeah, technology. Yeah, like we started adding, you know, closets for air conditioners and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You could have a computer closet that housed your your home computer, mini computer or whatever, you right. know. Yeah. And, and uh, a second air conditioner <laughs> to keep it cold. <laughs> <Yeah. right here. laughs> um, you know. But I'm curious, like, maybe you know this, David. Would you, since you couldn't make the processors faster, um, could you do, like, what we're doing now? Because we're hitting bottlenecks on just because of the laws of physics, we can't get the devices much smaller. So everybody's probably noticed we have, you know, six and eight core sure. um, laptops they were, uh, and stuff. They were already doing that back then with like Cray and other types of supercomputers and stuff, had multiple processors. So it was certainly possible. So maybe time. people would start having those in their computer closet in their house <laughs> where they had, you know. The, the question is, for me, is more around what drives that, right? Sure. So, um, you know, because the average Joe, let's, let's, Let's maybe even back up for just a second, too, because the average Joe didn't, in, in the 80s again, remember, just think of that mindset. The average Joe didn't even know what a computer was, much less have any use for one. So something would have to drive the adoption beyond just the fact that it was, quote, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? so that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. So, you know, there's been a number of things that have happened over the last 30 to 40 years that are not just technological change, but are uh, things we can attribute to society and cultural. And, and cultural. cultural yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was thinking about that. Like, what drove the massive uh, computer spike of the, the late 90s? I mean, we went from a time in, like, 1994, for example, where basically only few people still had computers. I mean, just, you know, the, the hobbyists and people who <laughs> needed them for business and whatnot. By six years later, by 2000, everybody had a computer. And I think the Internet was the driving Absolutely. Fa- uh, factor behind that. The Internet and really gave me my job. Like yeah. that's how I got started in IT was really because of the internet because computers had uh, become so ubiquitous and because there was this platform on the internet and I got into web development like that was yeah. I knew a little programming before that through Basic on the Commodore and um, in school and Pascal and stuff like that but 
Um, the internet's what really drove the job market for yeah. web development and web programming. And of course, the internet had been around since I think the seventies or something like that, sixties um, or you know, 70s, we, we, something like that. We should have looked this up because we should talked have. about it in the last podcast. But anyway, nevertheless, okay. it was certainly around in nineteen eighty-two. For if you were in the military or in a, in a university, college, university type setting, then it was around. Right, right. right. So <laughs> the question is, you know, um, if it would have evolved to some extent like it did uh, without the rapid hardware advancement that we had as well. And again, I think absolutely with a broadband connection to your home, you could, it wouldn't be the exact same experience, but you could have, um, you know, email and social media and, um, you know, like I said, stuff like Amazon, like online shopping and, and eBay and, and Craigslist and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think you could have at least similar. It would similar. Just probably look a lot. It would look different. The interface primitive. would be different. Uh, the graph, you know, the pictures would be either non-existent or very cartoonish looking, you know, but uh, it could be done. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the same functionality would be there. Well, and you know, there. it is interesting as somebody who has a, a, a pretty big background in e-commerce, um, you know, a lot of the things that we look at today is, you know, how fast does the page load and stuff like that? Because it's true that conversion rates in e-commerce, if the page loads faster, you, you sell more product, right? Um, but people would just have to have, and, 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 and quite honestly, we know they did have a lot more patience for those types of things. Um, you know, if it was, mm-hmm. even with a, with a slower computer, or I'm slower... thinking of just locally, just like loading something off of a tape drive or a floppy disk. <laughs> right. Where is that patience that I had it's, as a kid? It's, it's, it's gone. That? Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that could could help with some of that is if you were a, a frequent subscriber. Let's say that there was an Amazon of the '80s, right? And, yeah. And uh, it was all you know based on on those those slower computers and the slow graphics and all that. There is the possibility too. Again, you have this new. Hopefully, we have this ISDN technology or something similar to it that evolved. They give us a little bit more than 300 baud or 1200 baud or something like that. Um, you could also have some kind of nightly batch process that, that okay, I'm a frequent shopper of Amazon, and Amazon has a feed, and every night it comes down, sort of like we talked about FidoNet in our last BBS uh, video, because right. I think the world was already kind of headed that way anyway. So maybe maybe there was a, uh, you know, I guess you'd have to have a bunch a of caching floppies stacked, stacked up, but some kind of caching system. that would Well, hang on. Faster. In 1982, were there <clears throat> hard drives that had any storage space? Magnetic, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard drive? A- absolutely. So... It, again, if you had the the closet computer, the closet mainframe, maybe you had a rack of hard drives like the the or at least the wealthy people did, and they <laughs> preloaded all the icons, I images. I don't think that would be necessary. I mean, a 128k connection, it would be plenty to download that kind of stuff. I mean, keep in mind the the size of these images would be so much smaller because of the type of graphic system that you'd be putting them on. And you know, I'd like to bring up an interesting but point. I, I'm thinking early days of the internet, like Netscape Navigator and and things like that. When when mm-hmm. you got me started in the on the internet in '96, there was still a lot of caching going on Absolutely. in your web browser. Yeah. And we still have that today. Like it's still it's still important. So I f- I feel like with the limited hardware of that time, caching would have become a big deal. I think it would have. And people Absolutely. would have had to have this Maybe. this little bit of this. In their but mind. I'd like to bring up an interesting uh, example. Um, you know, I remember a time not too long ago, I mean, yes, I guess it was a while, but, you know, we're talking over 10 years ago, probably around like 2006 or whatever. You know, I used to sit in my recliner in the living room with my iBook G3 and use Facebook. And you know what? It ran perfectly fine on there. And then about two or three years later, Facebook did something to their website. I don't know if they added more scripting or something like that, but it got to where it was so abhorrently slow. If you weren't using a faster computer, it was just, it was miserable. And today, if I tried to log on to Facebook with a a G3 computer, it'd probably take five minutes just to pull up the the page and, and display like my newsfeed or whatever. I mean, and the reality is like, if you take a screenshot of Facebook today and compare it to a screenshot from say 13, 14 years ago, it doesn't look all that different. I, I probably the, could offer a little bit of insight on that since <laughs> I have a background in web development. I, I'm, I'm, I think I know, but I'm dying to hear you. Well, before yeah. you, before you sure. explain why, uh, the, the main point I just wanted to drive home was that, you know, obviously the services would be optimized for the technology that we had. And so Absolutely. if everybody had a slow computer, the services would be designed around that. <laughs> right. But anyway, what, what, what were you going to say? So part of the reason... Um, and I hear this complaint all the time from, you know, my mother-in-law and, you know, elderly people and, and, and that hang on to older computers and things like that. Like, why is this 
no longer work on this laptop I bought 15 years ago. <laughs> and a lot of it is we are demanding of our websites uh, things that we didn't demand of them 10 or 20 years ago. And so you you kind of alluded to it. You said the scripting. Um, and it's not like Facebook or Google or, you know, any of these uh, platforms are just like, let's throw more JavaScript and be lazy about how they're programming. We're wanting stuff to be more interactive. So when I when I scroll down, like one of the early things was as, as you scroll in the news feed, more things bubble up. Yeah, lazy. Notifications lazy. pop up that didn't used to do that without like a full page refresh. So it really goes back like to the early, mid-2000s with Google uh, coming up with Ajax. You guys, I'm sure, heard mm -hmm. of Ajax technology. Um where the page isn't getting completely reloaded every time. The script is going and, you know, fetching new data and changing yeah. bits and pieces of the page in real time as you're interacting with it. Whereas the early days when I first started getting into the <coughs> web programming, every time you did a click, wipe out the entire page. Yep, and reload all the data. Recalculate all the, the data and reload all the, the whole user interface with the new data into the page. Yeah, So yeah. That, that has been a big evolution. What do you, what do you the document object model or something like that? Anyway, yeah. Very, yeah. Very nice <laughs> See, I know a little bit of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, so Dom. so the other thing, yeah, Dom. So the other thing too that, that we've added, I've noticed, is there's a whole lot of UI stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with the way the page looks, but the way the page behaves. And I'll give you an example of that that I think you'll easily respond to, and that is like rubber banding. You scroll all the way to the bottom and the page kind of bounces and then comes back, right? That's mm -hmm. that's that's the kind of stuff that's taking up all that code space yeah. now. All these little niceties <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Mm. And I, I think, this is why I thought the caching thing might be important, I, because I think, um, we would have probably wanted those interactions. And it's, it's actually kind of interesting because like mainframes worked the way the early internet worked. Mm -hmm. Mainframes were like, you do something, it redraws the whole screen. Am I, am I wrong here? Because I, I, that's <laughs> well, what I they were on. Uh, they were on terminals, which is something I want to talk about in a minute. They were right. on terminals. And basically the way that worked is just keep scrolling the screen up until the old data was gone. <laughs> so there was a lot of wipe and refresh, but I yeah. think technology would have evolved even with a limited hardware where it's like we're going to cache all these elements and put some programming in your house or in the computer you're on in your house so that you're not having to reload all of this and process it remotely yeah. all the time. So this this is a perfect segue into something that I, I wanted to talk about, right. thin computing, right? So, sorry, so, um, so if, if things were more like thin client, D designed like terminals. So what if instead of everybody having a computer connected to that ISD in line, we got a technology that evolved from 8-bit computers where you st they still was a giant mainframe and somebody else had the big computer, but yeah. all we had was a dumb terminal on our end, right? And like in our just, home. Like in our home. Well, right? that's that's more or less what I had had been envisioning is uh, basically uh, just taking like the terminals that we had in the on, that we ran on our computers in the 80s and say, well, okay, well if we had 128k connection, we could probably have these terminals put graphics on the screen. We might even be able to have like a mouse pointer. I don't know. I mean, I guess we technically there were mice back then. Um, wasn't popularized until a couple of years later. But anyway, point is, uh, you could have had a considerably uh, more advanced terminal that would run pretty fast. But yeah, all the computing would be happening somewhere else on some gigantic computer uh, in some you know data center somewhere, <laughs> just just like we have today to some extent. That's exactly what I was imagining. Got it. Okay. Well, today, yeah. it's, a, it's a real mix, though. I mean, today, we don't have thin clients anymore. The early days of the internet was thin client. It was more like the mainframe mm -hmm. terminal model. Now we have this hybrid where... Anything that I want to keep secure, proprietary, or anything like that, or is just a really stuff like AI. Like when you when you use Siri on your phone, um, the the AI is not in your phone. Right. It's making network call with <laughs> <laughs> Siri. Just awesome. got, um, speak of the devil. Um, but Literally. the 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 AI is happening <laughs> right. on Apple's end. But to your point, Facebook, all those little interactions and little bouncy pages and alerts and things like that is happening on a thick client on your computer. Locally. We truly have a hybrid model today. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious whether it would have gone, it would have stayed thin client or it would have come to a hybrid model with you know, archaic. Well, I hardware. think you would have had to have some hybrid uh, to David's point um, earlier. You know, like, like you're not gonna 
send the sound effects, for example, if you're playing some kind of online game or something, or if you have the ding that, that has to play for your uh, new message came in on your 8-bit eight eight, eight Facebook. Right. <laughs> right? I think those things would have to have been done by the local processor. So I think it would have definitely yeah. been a hybrid environment. Well, Possibly. I think, <clears throat> think how much what, the early days of the internet, you were using less web applications and you had more installed desktop applications like your email, yeah. all the little dings and stuff in your email were in the email program. Right? Yeah. So in those days, and, and this is a, certainly something we should discuss here, uh, but in those days there were kind of platforms like that. I mean, there was there was CompuServe, there was Quantum Link, and yeah. Quantum Link, for example, actually did All the way back in 82 they had all this? Um, yeah, Quantum Link had to be out around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm and even if it was a few years later, it still ran on the hardware of ADQ. Right, so right. You know, yeah. so it could have it, it definitely evolved, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, so so let's say that you've got Quantum Link. Quantum Link is an actual application that ran on your computer that then had a had an interface over your modem to get data from the the right. I guess, the Quantum Link mainframe. So that's actually a perfect example. Of, I was actually of thinking about that developed. earlier. Yeah, I'm really quantum... bummed that I didn't use Quantum Link. Like, <laughs> I, I had all either. the disks and stuff, and I never used it. I think I logged in once with some kind of demo account for a few minutes, but I never could afford to pay for it, so I, I didn't really get to... But, you know, they had online shopping on there. They had, you know, groups and, and chats and, mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of exactly what I, what I was thinking of. Imagine Quantum Link running on a faster connection. You know, you could you could, you could could make that... You know, pretty good. But Quantum Link was a mix of a thick client and yeah, thin yeah, client hybrid. Technology. You you absolutely had to have the, the the client software to use it. Now now I wanted. As a matter of fact, I want to use Quantum. I <laughs> tried when I was a kid. I tried like all kinds of ways to try to figure out what the data was that they were actually sending over the modem because I wanted to try to hack Quantum Link. <laughs> I never right. could figure it out. I was I was too yeah. young. I was much much too young to, to have the experience for that. But so oh, I just, today I could have totally <laughs> figured it out. I just have a list of of some uh, some technologies. That uh, you know we we kind of talked about earlier, um, and I uh, wanted to see if if you know various opinions on whether you think we could have these today. We already talked about social media. Um, Mike had brought up MRI and CAT scans because uh, these are you know CAT by its very nature means computer aided tomography. tomography. Mm -hmm. So and and I think it requires a, a pretty sophisticated uh, computer to be able to um, um, to take all the data and, and turn it into something. So um, the thing is, I think I guess we'd have to Google it. We should have done that before the podcast. When 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 did the first? <laughs> yeah, well, okay, okay, you Google it, and I'll make a statement about it while you're doing. Okay. That. So um, I think the problem that is going to happen if we go down this path is that it won't be that we couldn't have done it because I think probably the answer is yes. You probably could have eventually built some kind of of CAT scan. I think the problem would be how long it would take to get the results. So if it, if it takes the computer six months to calculate all the <laughs> the, the the pieces for it, then you're going to be dead of cancer long before you ever get right. the results of the test. I think that's the would be the biggest. Well, thing. apparently it came out in the '70s, so I guess that question's already well. answered. Okay, what do we know? Oh, Let's see, we uh, don't know anything. Let's just cancel this podcast. Yeah, right now. podcast <laughs> over. So I guess we'd uh, guess we'd still have that. Uh, let me go back to my list here. So smartphones, I think we can all oh, agree yeah. that smartphones would probably not be viable technology yeah. for a number of reasons, but you just wouldn't be able to fit that kind of processing power into the palm of your hand. Yeah, uh, so the problem with smartphones is going to be the processing power locally, like 100%, because not only just what it does, the size. the size, but it's also going to be around, like a lot of the things that made the iPhone and any of those devices um, is the, the like, like there's a, there's a, Chip on that phone, or it's it's in the actually in the in the yeah. the processor now, but um, that does all the compression and stuff, and and you couldn't do that like <laughs> again you, with your eight bit computer. So, so I mean, not be powerful. Obviously, now. we had the little pocket computers of the the eighties, and um, you know, you had the watch. I remember you had yeah, the you did. Watch. I forgot you that the little watch was it was it a Radio Shack watch? No, it was a Casio. Casio, okay. Yeah, um, could you could you program in Basic on that watch? Nerd alert! No, no, it was just a data bank. Okay. Although at the time I pronounced it Casio because I had never heard the term Casio said in public before. So for like, like when you went to the store, the sales guy didn't say its name. No, I, think so. <laughs> I would open catalogs and I would see, you know, there. Oh, it's the Casio watch or whatever. It wasn't until I don't know. I was probably in my late teens before I ever heard somebody actually say I have, Casio. I have done that so many times. Like my boss at my last job used to give me a hard time because I would say things in a weird way. So like. 
when a certain uh, Windows came out that had a like a Spanish sounding name, I called it Window Vista because in Spanish that <laughs> makes sense actually. That. But everybody called it Window Vista, and like I called a a bonsai tree a bonsai, which is actually correct. That's actually what you're supposed to call it. But <laughs> Americans call it bonsai. Oh, it's actually interesting. Bonsai. And like I read stuff a certain way. Yeah, there's actually a guy I work with that anyway that he does the same thing. Like he, um, he'll he'll say patronizing instead of patronizing or you know well he's just from london or something so, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know i had those little pocket computers and you know in theory we, we did have cell phones back then now they were uh, bulky and they were expensive and uh, you know whatnot and you know it's it's possible that in time the price of, of uh, cell phones would have come down some um i don't know if they'd ever get to the the point they are today but uh, they, they would have probably come down some just with mass adoption uh, just because you'd be able to share the cost of the infrastructure between a lot more people, but um, yeah, so we are we already talked about broadband, and then we kind of touched on digital cameras. Um, I think that uh, digital cameras would be possible, but I don't think that they would ever be able to replace um, analog like yeah. Yeah, film cameras <clears throat> and yeah. uh, and uh, and analog video sources. You know, it's interesting. Uh, my my youngest son is an amateur photographer, and he's gotten into analog film. Like he actually that's uh that's coming back big yeah. time. <laughs> so uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is like automobiles because uh, like your current automobile, like your typical car these days has like 50 computers in it. They're all linked together on a CAN network. Yeah. And um, I don't think that we would have that uh, because the computers would be too expensive. It would probably be cheaper. Like in many cases, like these days, they'll put a computer like in the back of a car to control like the taillights or something because it's cheaper to do that than to run the extra wires back there yep. to control each light. So I think they would probably still be just running the extra wires for everything and have a central computer. Because, I mean, some cars did have computers in the early 80s for mm-hmm. engine computers and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So, to tell me and the other ignorant masses, what was a CAN network? Oh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just the network that's kind of standardized in most vehicles except for Tesla. I think Tesla actually uses Ethernet. Yeah, they do. <laughs> oh, interesting. But uh, CAN network, what's that standard? CAN bus is CAN bus. Yeah, I don't know the exact specifics of of of, of the the network, but it's it's just a it's just a computer network. I think it's real similar to ArcNet, if memory serves. I think I read that somewhere once. Uh, so yeah, I can't remember. It's been I, yeah. I, I I researched it one time a long time ago when I was into cars, but I, I'm so far from that now. I've forgotten most of it. But um, but yeah, there, there's um, it's it's just it's think about it, it's like a, a serial network all around okay. your car that that you can put data on the bus and then read data back and um, you know so you alarm- can hook something to, up to it and start like reading what your car is doing. Yeah, yeah. and all the devices have addresses, and so it's kind of like an alarm, um, like your your. Um, alarms have a very, very similar network where all the different sensors and stuff are on a, but anyway, um, yeah, and so and then it's it's also one of those where you have to listen and there has to be a big enough pause and then you can throw data on the line and um, yeah, if you ever plug one of those scanners into your car, that's exactly what it's doing. The OBD2 scanner, it's it's interfacing with the CAN bus. I've always wanted to do that. And I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, it pulls all the data <laughs> off of there. Yeah, that technology has been around for um, quite a while. I mean, uh, the the current. Um, the, the current implementation we have came out in 1995. It was standardized, uh, required by the government by 1996. Um, but uh, they had earlier versions of that in the 80s. Um, but, yeah, the engine computers of, like, 1982 were extremely primitive. I think most cars at that point were still using, um, uh, what do you call those things that spun around to run the spark plugs? Uh, distributor? Uh, yeah, distributors. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So you know, sometime in the 80s, they started switching that over to, to computers to, to do that job. But... But yeah, you know, I was just kind of wondering about like our infotainment systems and stuff that we have in the cars today. You know, uh, you could do it. It'd be a lot more expensive to stick it in there. Probably have to have a CRT. Um, yeah, I really know, do. Um, I mean, the more and more we talk about this, I do think that almost everything that we've talked about is certainly possible. I think cost would stop it. Yeah. I think cost. Cost and size. Yeah. Yeah. Unless something happened where they figured out, okay, well, we can't keep, we can't make faster processors or whatever that we can't make the chip smaller, whatever, whatever the technology limit was, because we didn't really define that. But I think unless they figured out a way to optimize some of those things, you know, I just don't see the way that (laughs) to cost reduce it. You know, I remember back in the eighties actually, and I want to say, I want to say this was like 86 or 87. Yeah, because I think I was like 12 or 13 or something like that. And I remember, um, yeah, but it, it would have had to been 86. That's when we bought that Pontiac Grand Prix. And I remember we went to the Pontiac dealer 
and uh, well, it was a GM dealer. And they also had uh, on the lot there a Buick um, Riata. Riata, yeah. Yep. And that was kind of like one of my favorite cars back then. <laughs> and I was, you know, I think it was in the showroom or something, and I was able to climb in there. And, uh, you know, I wasn't even old enough to drive or anything, but I was so taken by the uh, electronics in there because the dash was all digital. Now, it was done with, I th- it was in retrospect, I'd have to look it up, but based on what I remember, uh, I would say it would be like a VFD display or something. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like what a speak and spell would use or, mm. or something like that. A bunch you know, of vacuum fluorescent. glorified LED type. Yeah, vacuum fluorescent. So uh, that's what it was what it would be. But in the center console, they had a CRT. CRT. Crammed right there in the middle, a little black and white CRT, and it was touchscreen, and it actually had touch controls on it, and you could operate everything from the radio to look at all kinds like diagnostic data and, and, and all kinds so of stuff. I, at home, I have a... What is it, an HP 110 or 115? It's one of the first touchscreen computers. And it's probably, they were probably using a similar technology because there was no pressure sensors back then. But instead, there was a like a grid array of infrared. Yep, that's exactly just, what they used. Yeah, you just um, um, tapped on the screen and it, it lost contact with the sensor on the other side of the infrared. Yeah, there was basically two sheets of plexiglass that were spaced, you know, just like an eighth of an inch apart that were on the screen. And so when you touched it, it caused it to block the light between yeah. between the sensors. Yep, that's exactly what they used. But, uh, so we yeah. had touchscreen uh, yeah. computing. <laughs> in, in, in a car, too, and, in, you know, around that time period. And so it's certainly possible. And I remember being so excited about that because I felt like, wow, this is really the future. You know, this is, uh, the future has arrived. This and it really, so cool. it really was kind of <laughs> yeah. foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a funny story. I'll, I'll keep it really short, but I have a funny story. I worked for a – I think they're out of business now. but Well, I know they're out of business now. But it was a company called Vandegrift Buick. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I washed cars. It was one of my first jobs um, out, out of high school. And so every day I washed cars, and my favorite thing was like one a day somebody would buy a Buick Riata, and I got to drive it around and wash it. And so that was like yeah, my favorite. Because you love that car. Because I love that car. You so need much. to buy yourself a uh, that Buick. No, Riata. I have no desire. So one thing that I think is interesting, like I'm looking at your the background you made here, and we've alluded to this, but we haven't really talked to it. Um, and that's since you didn't have a smartphone. We would probably still have lots of separate devices for things because yeah. you couldn't uh, get things yeah. smart enough. So that's true. If you wanted to, oh think wow, that's movies, fascinating. I mean, you're you're so spot on. Yeah, you'd have to carry a camera now. Like maybe the cameras would get a little smaller, or they'd be a little, you know, I don't know, have better senses sensors, or maybe there would be digital cameras. But you would still have to carry this thing around like we were doing, you know, through the early 2000s. If you if yeah. you wanted to play music, you'd use a you know, a music playing device. A, yeah, yeah, cassette player or something like that. A or, yeah. <laughs> with, a would, spinning, with a spinning CD in it. Right. Well, <laughs> it, with the CD, was that technology around, like, mm-hmm. in the, yeah. the 80s? Um, I think that was invented in, like, the 70s, I think, or something so like that. So eventually, well, yeah, because I remember people had you know, big laser disc players. David brings up, he's, he's actually hinted at this a couple of times, and, and, it's, and it's a fascinating thought. Much of the technology that we had in the 90s was actually invented in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it just took it a while to, to get mar- mass market adoption and some of those things. And so so there probably are some 90s technologies that we've, we've kind of glossed over that, that would absolutely be ap- applicable. Right. Uh, because they would just refine that technology and, and get it mass market yeah. adoption. Now, you know, Sony had the first Mavica, I think, came out in like the late 70s or something. And, of course, it recorded to an analog floppy disk. Mm-hmm. But it did record, did, well... I would say they're not digital. I guess it was analog still images to a, a disc, you know. Um, so and that 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 technology was even predates yeah. the time we're talking about. Yeah. Now, do you think we'd still be doing a lot with broadcast TV and radio since since the yeah you know again since we had the we would have maybe a computer in a closet or or a terminal. I don't type think we thing. would have any kind of streaming. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Not, yeah, not I, don't, for video, I don't think we would sure. have streaming video, but I'll tell you what probably would have a have have come about because it was already starting to happen. Um, and it would be you would have your regular television channels that would come over the broadcast or even the cable network, you know, right? And they'd all be analog. But then there would be a digital overlay that you could get um, of, of data feeds. You know, like the shopping network might have uh, uh, like a, an app that you run on your Commodore 64 or your, your Apple II mm-hmm. that would have the where you could buy what's being shown on the show. You could oh, do something nice. like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Kind of combining the mm-hmm. analog and digital TV, and that technology. was already like some of the some of the stuff that in that in those days was like the shopping network or what was it called? 
back then. Home Shopping Network. I, guess, I think they had a different name. But yeah, maybe maybe that's it. Anyway, um, they already had stuff like that that they were working on. So um, it just never got yeah. mass market adoption because the internet came along and blew it well, all away. You know what's funny? Because uh, I, just look at TV shows for a moment. Now, you take like uh, Star Trek, the original series, uh, their depiction of computers. You know, maybe at the time seemed pretty futuristic, but even by the time we were kids, the depiction of computers... Oh, yeah, so outdated. Were, were, yeah, because even by the 80s, uh, the, the Star Trek looked terrible. Uh, it makes me wince every time, um, even up through Voyager, they would talk about the holodeck or a holodeck program and the subroutines were messed up or Data's yeah. subroutines, and I'm like... Computer programmers don't use subroutines anymore. We're not programming in yeah. 1980s basic. Like <laughs> you're right. But if we were stuck there, we we might still be using subroutines like as an industry. That's, that's that's interesting because some some of the the programming technologies though really don't have anything to do with the technology itself. It's just that we found better ways of right of, of organizing it. Right. Right. Yeah. And and what I wonder um, is whether I would have the same career had we been frozen in the 80s, because here's why. And that this is something, I'm gonna get a little bit on a soapbox. This. So <laughs> you, as a game programmer, programming on assembly, are really more of a computer scientist than I am. Like you're much closer to the hardware because you still code in assembly and things, you know, low, what we call low level languages. Like you were yeah. talking to memory addresses and instruction sets that are actually on a, a you know, the physical chip or, or mm. whatever, or a particular chip, and you're addressing it through the, the bus or whatever. Ideal in abstractions, right? So when I, when the internet started taking off, and you got me the AST mm -hmm. computer, and I started tinkering with web development and HTML and JavaScript and things like that, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, the programming had been dumbed down enough for me to get interested. Uh, like, <laughs> I... I remember That's awesome. messing around with BASIC, and I would get so frustrated. And Commodore BASIC was terrible, even for the time. But mm -hmm. um, assembly was way too over my head for, for that time, uh, for, for where I was as a 15-year-old or whatever. But by the time I was in my 20s, JavaScript and Cold Fusion and Visual BASIC, I was like, I can get stuff done fast enough for me to be stay interested in this and not, yeah. not get you know, just completely burned out by it. And a lot of that is because the hardware allowed visual drag-and-drop elements. It allowed for things like object-oriented programming, which I know you you tried to take a stab at OOP like years ago. I think you and I had this conversation, David, and you were like, I still don't get it. I like these class <laughs> things and stuff like that. But it has these abstractions where you're not dealing with... Um, a particular memory address or an instruction set in a global list of variables, you're like, it, it's categorized, right? So it's my dumb brain. It's like, um, I don't want to worry about whether this particular variable overrides some memory right. address or something like that. Right. I want to worry about this small section of my code and this particular problem. And it's the, the programming language itself has isolated that from everything else uh, that's going on in the computer. Even the operating systems like kind of abstracted away, yeah. and that's a much safer, I, easier I had a, way. Uh, to I get had a very it. similar experience um, with because I learned Assembler mm -hmm. um, on the 8088 mm -hmm. um, much after I had Commodores, right? M much later. Um, I read, in fact, it was Peter Norton. I think I have the book in here somewhere. Peter, uh, I know I have the book. Here. Oh, there it is, right there. Peter Norton's assembly book. That's mm -hmm. the one I bought yeah. when I was a kid. Um, and I read that book, and I learned how to program on the the IBM XT, um, and I, I did a little bit with it. I think I wrote a virus or two. <laughs> Sounds like you. Yeah, some basic stuff like that. But um, I never really got into it because it was so tedious. It was so tedious and it annoyed me. And when I really got into programming... Your, your patience is amazing to, to it write is. games. and assemble. When I really got into programming was when I got into... And, and a lot. I know you'll probably say it's not really programming. But when I got into HTML, when the internet came out, mm -hmm. it was making web pages, right? And it was because I could make something happen, like five lines of code... And boom, something changes, and I've got this beautiful thing on the screen. It was so easy, and I could make progress just fast, fast, fast. That's what did it for me. Well, Greg, to be fair, um, all the development I do these days is on modern computers, and I'm using modern right. tools and modern compilers. I just the target system happens to be <laughs> right. You know, so you, you do have some and, and assistant so, abstraction. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think though that if but time you, had gone forward, like we would have still gotten uh, languages that would have been easier to use, absolutely. still have run at a absolutely. at a decent speed. Well, object orientation was, and I'm not saying that's the end-all and be-all of programming understanding, it, it's not, but it's helped a lot of people get into programming, that 
was, I want to say the 60s or 70s when they came up with the idea about yeah. it. And yeah. what a lot of programmers, I think, did when they named like a label, like you wanted to jump to a label or something, they would kind of name something according to a bunch of categories. So instead of like now, if I'm trying to save a file, I may instantiate a file object and then I've got that particular file and I shove some text in it and I would say file.save, right? I'm telling this particular file to go save itself, right? Mm -hmm. Back then, there just might be a function that's called file management underscore file yep. <laughs> underscore save and then you pass it the data that you want to pass into it. I mean, it's it was kind of similar, but it was like all naming conventions. And now the programming language is just kind of Hide and, and I think that I think I personally believe, and 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 I would love to hear if there's any um, hardcore programmers in the in the audience, leave it in the comments. But I, I personally believe all of that stuff would have arisen. Um, we would have just had you know um, C, I guess C plus plus, and then um, what's the uh, object oriented C came after that? I guess so. no, C plus plus was the object. Yeah. was that the object oriented? So why does Apple call their they called their C something different? There's this Objective C. Objective C. Sorry, I was getting and mixed up. And that was actually created by when Steve Jobs started his own company. Next. Next. Yeah, next. So if you actually, if you've ever programmed on the iPhone, a lot it's, of the I objects know, it's, were NS for next step. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that I think that all of that stuff would eventually evolve onto the old hardware. Again, because those things don't re necessarily require technology. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Yeah. And, no, and, and, I, I think they do... Like the programming languages being more sophisticated sometimes does require more memory and more sure, processing sure. power. So I think it would have been OOP and scripting and things like that would have been drastically slowed down. Yeah. Here's, here's where my soapbox is. So you mentioned C++, and this drives me crazy. If you're a not a computer science, you're not engineering new hardware or things like that or creating new languages, but you want to like an MIS, um, like an information systems degree, right? What is the first thing they teach you? C and C++. When they teach programming, I mean, they do this in computer science too. So they start you off with this, this shit that would have bored me, you know, like a, almost an assembly-like language. Like C is pretty primitive. And so they start you off with these primitive languages and then they add more powerful languages. And I think we need to flip that because how I got started is I used more powerful languages, got the concepts down, and then when I picked up a little Commodore 64 assembly just as part of my midlife crisis, <laughs> I actually, I kind of enjoyed it. I was like, I liked the kind of primitive stuff because I understood programming well enough. So I, I'm, anyway, I, I don't know whether that our approach to teaching programming might have changed um, well, here's, because here's, of the need to be so cognizant of memory and, and power limitations. I guess here's where my brain is around some of this stuff. Again, because I, I think of a lot of those things as more of the, the process and don't require the hardware. So David and I were talking to somebody yesterday, and, um, and we're talking about mathematical adding machines of like the early, early part of the century. Mm -hmm. And all of that was, you know, there was like all these buttons on it, but when you pressed a button, there were like 400 things that happened mechanically inside that thing that to flip bits and move right. it around. It was a mechanical computer. And so, again, that doesn't require technology to, to make it happen. It's just a matter of knowing how all of those things and what order they have to happen. And I, I feel like a lot of the th things with programming languages are the same way. Yeah, it might take you know, two days to compile, but I think you could write the language. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think it would be safe to say if we were stuck in, you know, computers running at one and two megahertz that, you know, all the games and stuff would still be written in assembly, at least all the good ones. Um, yeah. But I think that there would certainly be a lot of, you know, business development and stuff, you know, like customized applications and stuff that are going to be written in a higher level language. Uh, and they would have evolved those languages to be uh, better and better and better. And, and I'm sure, yeah, they would probably never perform like, assembly would. Sure, but, of course, uh, of course. Well, it's telling that even today, people are still programming even in C++ a lot for game development. Like, um, even on today's modern hardware, there, there is more happening, like with Unity, uh, uses C-sharp, and C-sharp is kind of a semi-interpreted language, mm -hmm. like it, it compi compiles to MSIL, or it, it did back when I did it, so, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah. So, you could, it, it's definitely a higher level language than C or C++, but, um, it's kind of the exception, like the Unreal Engine is still C++ based, I think, and yeah. a lot of the gaming engines, the, the the 3D engines are C++, like that's what they're written in, because they need all that extra like efficiency. 
yeah. uh, to make cool games. So I want to switch topics um, because there's one thing I put on the. Um, I guess I have to turn it this direction. There's one thing I put on the two things I guess that I put on the background here that we haven't talked about, and that's that's there's a Apollo booster and a space shuttle that I put on here. We were doing space travel in sure. in the 80s, right? With those computers. In fact, we went to the moon with the computers of the 60s, right? Right. And so how do you guys think that space travel would have continued to evolve if our computers had been stuck? Um, what would be different about, I mean, because Certainly, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the inside of a SpaceX capsule. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the Starship Enterprise, right? How would how would space travel have, have, have evolved? In well, uh, so just to be fair, the uh, shuttle actually was developed in the seventies, and uh, you know, I've i they actually retrofitted the, um, the the cockpit in them. I want to say back in the nineties, early two thousands, or whatever, and and they called it their glass display or whatever. But yeah. it's basically, they changed it to a three eighty six or something when they did that. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I think Something they like did, that. which was still kind of but behind had, the times. But it right. had like color LCD screens and stuff in there, uh, whereas the original 70s design had a whole bunch of green monochrome screens, and I think they were full of mostly just like text data. Um, I don't I don't seem to recall ever seeing any graphics displayed on those uh, screens. But, you know, they worked for what they needed it for. Now, um, I think for human space flight, I don't think, I don't think we really need anything more advanced than that. I mean, it's nice to have, but we don't really need it. But for robotic space travel, like sending uh, probes to Mars and stuff like that, um, not to say you couldn't do it with the older well, technology. We did. We sent Vikings. Right, right. <laughs> and not, honestly, not, not honestly, to say yeah, that we uh, uh, couldn't do it, but some of the things that we're doing uh, now would be pretty darn difficult to do with uh, with that kind of uh, technology, like like the current Mars rover. It uh, and, and some of it just boils down to like power usage. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, also like the little flying helicopter, for example, you know, like the st stability controls and all that. I don't know that you'd be able to fit a computer in that. Um, Some kind of 8 bit uh, computer that could handle all of that. <laughs> no, yeah. It wouldn't it, be it, able to process the calculations fast enough to keep the thing balanced. Right. And not be lightweight enough to, to be actually yeah. be able to put it in there. So, you know, like drones and stuff like that, that we have today, uh, even for terrestrial use, again, you really need a. A pretty fast processor and lightweight computer system to be able to One that, deal with all that. Don't a lot of the drones and like you mentioned, like the the ro rotary like correction mechanisms mm -hmm. and stuff. Isn't that um, is any of that AI trained? I feel like um, from what I've heard is kind of like the way space is going, space travel is going in the future is a lot of because of all the space debris and things like that. There's a lot of AI stuff to predict where things are going to be. Yeah, at, I mean, I, I know all of that. Even though AI had been kind of invented in the 60s or 70s, we didn't have the power to do it. Yeah, like I know I watched now. some of the SpaceX videos, and they talk about how they're working on eventually having, you know, the spaceships completely fly them. I mean, I know they do that already, but, but like, I'm talking to next-level stuff, right, where, oh, look, there's a big giant meteor or piece of space debris coming at me. I'm going to move out of its path and other, without a human being involved or, yeah. or flight control, and they're working on all of that. Drones, though, like, I have a drone. Um, now, it's six or seven years old now, and so it's not. it's certainly not as advanced as some of the new stuff. But um, but I think that's all just like tilt sensors and stuff, and mm -hmm. it's like just it's, a feedback. I'm, yeah, I'm tilting this way. Add more propeller, you know, right? I don't think there's any AI going on in there. Of course, it's worth pointing out if memory serves, and I have to Google this to be sure, but I seem to recall hearing that the current Mars rover, the, the you know the new one, the big one, runs on a G3 processor, you know, like basically like 1996 type processor. Wow, I mean, <laughs> it, it seems to me like um, the power usage of that would be it, like, it probably. Like, well, I don't think they run it very fast, but I, I think the the main reason they do that is um, because uh, NASA's got this long cycle for testing and getting stuff certified, and it takes like 10, 15 years to get a new chip certified, so they're going to use whatever's on the shelf that's that's been already been certified. And so, yeah, they're using like a, a really old, like 25-year-old processor. Wow, I did not know lost, that. Like it has to be certified because they're like, I don't want to put this $5 million yeah. dollar robot. Right. It has to be certified for a number of things, including radiation. Uh, yeah, and uh, heat and cold. And, and, and heat and cold, all that yep. kind of stuff. Oh, okay. and, 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 so, uh, and reliability, of course. And uh, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, they're doing a lot of stuff. That with, is uh, fantastic. I'm going to have to go research that now. That is fantastic. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. In space. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I uh, I think that about brings us to the end of this one. Is there any other topics that we want to go over? Yeah, I guess I just would like to final finalize it 
summarize it by saying that uh, it wouldn't be the end of the world if our silicon chips didn't uh, improve any since 1982. I'm not saying it wouldn't. It's certainly better the way it is now, but I'm just saying we, we could well, certainly... You, you say that. You would still be happily programming games. <laughs> I would be waiting tables, and nobody really wants that. That's awful. But uh, <laughs> I think life wouldn't be as different today as, as maybe some people think it would be. Uh, because, again, when we look at the 1980s, we're also picturing the culture of the time. We're picturing um, the education of the time when it came to what people knew how to do on computers and stuff like that. And and I, yeah. I think, um, and, and that is that is interesting too, because uh, just because our ability to build a newer, faster chip doesn't mean our scientific knowledge wouldn't continue to grow, right? And we'd learn how to use those things in new and different ways. Yeah, for sure. Well, a lot of the difference between me and and my parents and my you know my in laws and things like that is um, we talk about you know we're digital natives. We were born into a digital Absolutely. society on these older machines, and that so we were yeah. never intimidated by them. We kind of understood intuitively how they work because we were using them at such an early age. So picking up an iPhone or something like that is no big deal to, to us. Right. But to a lot of older people that did not grow up in that generation, they were the previous generation or two, it's all very yeah. just weird voodoo black magic to I, I do have to tell you this, and I'm really, I'm really sad to admit it, but the older I get, and I hate to say it again, <laughs> but it really irritates me when they update my phone and change something that didn't have any business being changed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like you just slowed. It's going to take me six months to uh, to get used right. to this new damn workflow that wasn't even necessary. Change for change sake. <laughs> yep. Sometimes, yeah. That now, would it make something better or faster or easier? Yeah. Totally get it. I have a hard time <laughs> with any like phones or computers or gaming systems just updating on their own because it's like I want to know what happen and this goes back to like when we were yeah. using computers you were in complete control control of everything thing. Yeah. and now they just kind of do their things based on what the company is telling i have to tell you i mean it, and, and so i use my computer at home for all kinds of stuff video editing and all these different things right and it, inevitably i leave a bunch of stuff up on the screen when i go to bed because i right. plan on picking it back up in the morning and nothing makes me more mad at microsoft or apple is <laughs> when i wake up in the morning and my computer spent two hours in the middle of the night updating closing all my applications uh -huh. probably didn't save any of my work <laughs> you know but my biggest beef is and this is something that like you didn't have in the 80s but like the operating system updating when i'm trying to shut down it's like yes especially if you're on a laptop you're like i want to shut down and close the laptop and leave and it's like wait i've got to spend the next five minutes updating and it's like no no i so, have something else to do or i want to reboot so i have a funny a story for, for you on that exact thing craig i almost missed a flight because of that so I was really? going through TSA. They wanted to look at my laptop. I pulled my laptop out. The guy said, this was in um, Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. I was coming back to America. And the guy said, I need you to shut the laptop down and reboot it. I guess they, that somehow proved to them it was like a real computer. So I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I went to shut it down. And it's sitting there installing update one of two, of three, of and four. And you can't opt There's out of that. There's nothing I can do. I can't stop it. And, it, and I have to sit there, and we have to wait until the thing shuts completely down and boots back up. In the meantime, my flight's like, boarding, 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 back to America. And I'm yeah. like... <laughs> You're waiting on Microsoft to update your computer on their time instead of your on time. Instead of my time, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> that drives me crazy. Yeah. Don't don't waste my time. Yeah. I will absolutely. tell you when I'm ready for you to do that. Okay, well that um that wraps up this episode of the Geek Bits podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, good topic, um, David. Yeah, absolutely. Um we're available on YouTube, Pandora, Spotify, and all of the other platforms, and we'll see you in the next episode.